0: What is a bowl of cut fruit? Trigger warning for discussions of emotional abuse. Donut peach, strawberry, mango, and apple. Preoccupied with editing an essay or furiously fixing up a sketch for a personal project, I would look up to see a bowl of cut fruit placed beside me by my mother. Thank you, Mama. We would smile at each other. Maybe she'd linger to see what I was working on and then she would walk out of the room to leave me with this physical reminder of her love placed beside me. These are the moments with my mother I like the most, letting me have my personal space while giving me a silent affirmation of love. Still, I have long stopped classifying her actions as love and her relationship as loving. Yes, these may be the moments I prefer to all the others, but the bar has sunken to be quite low over the years. Aside from moments of particular weakness, I have stopped craving true love from my family. By true, I mean with no prerequisite to fulfill. I don't find myself holding on to the possibility of my parents, and particularly my mother, changing, even when I know it's possible because I've seen it happen for others. Yes, I know it could happen, but I've stopped waiting for it to. Am I too hard on her? Compared to my father, who maintained a vague position on my transness, congratulating me in private, only to stay silent in public. And even after breaking down to him about how my mother's continued deliberate transphobia pains me, even after saying he was and always will be proud of me, He still calls me. Of course, it's always been that way. My mother, possessive. My father, absent. He got to be the good guy in the dynamic, both in my eyes and hers. My mother often referred to herself as the villain and complained that my father was able to continue being the good parent since she was usually the one to discipline me. To her, he defended me too much. To me, he defended her too much. I never felt like he was in my corner, and I suppose she never felt like he was in hers. However, the animosity between my mother and I does have a track record, considering how even before coming out, we have always had a confrontational relationship. As terrible as it sounds, I often wish it was that simple, That my parents were excellent, bar their transphobia. But that's not the case. I'm not sure when it started, when home and family became synonymous with raised voices and slammed doors. But it wasn't long before the fruits of their love. I'm not sure when it started, when home and family became synonymous with raised voices and slammed doors. But it wasn't long before the fruits of their love begun. I'm not sure when it started, when home and family became synonymous with raised voices and slammed doors, but it wasn't long before the fruits of their love began to sour. I want to talk about it so much. I want to share my stories publicly. I want to tell everyone. My desire to speak about what happened to me and what continues to happen to me is so strong that I invent scenarios in my head a talk show interview, a YouTube story time, a conference speech, where I can. Because only in the safety of my head am I allowed to say these things. Survivors of abuse are not to be relieved. They are not to be trusted and their stories are to be plucked apart. They are meant to be pushed to the absolute limit of humiliation. And only if they survive this trial by fire and don't capitulate, Don't curl into themselves and admit defeat, that they were wrong, that it was their misunderstanding, that it was just a different perspective, a difficult relationship, anything to get people to please leave them alone. Only then will they be given even a modicum of respect. This is the narrative that I have understood as the path for survivors of abuse who publicly declare what they have been subjected to. And always, we must edit our language. It's not abuse, it's toxic, it's dysfunctional. Abuse is too strong, too much of a condemnation. It's hard to resist internalizing all of this, near impossible, to the point where even your own brain is constantly making excuses, defending your abusers to yourself as if you had started a witch hunt against them, even though the thoughts have barely left your mind. I don't want cut fruit. I want love, real love. I wish I didn't know how to suppress my feelings so I could survive the abuse. I wish I wasn't so sarcastic, paranoid, and anxious. I want to trust people. I want to feel every emotion at its fullest with no inhibitions. Why was I denied that? Why did I deserve that? I kill my emotions because I don't want my parents to see my vulnerability. When my emotions have never been taken seriously, when they have never had consequences as a result of being expressed, why would I continue to debase myself? I didn't cry in my room because of, I, I wasn't—I didn't cry in my room because I wasn't allowed to lock my door, so I would drag a pillow to the bathroom, lock it knowing that they still had the key somewhere, and lie on the floor, sobbing to myself. I spent a lot of time on that cold, tile floor. When did I realize that my childhood was not normal? When did I find out that not every child learned to speak with extreme caution, navigating a minefield of no-go topics? When did I become aware that not every child was constantly tense, waiting for the eventuality of another screaming match, detonated by something seemingly minuscule and insignificant, always the running undercurrent of unresolved arguments fueling the fire. I wish the toxicity was contained, but unsurprisingly, my home life had a profound impact on other spheres of my life. I fell in love hard, but relationships were still difficult. I was too subservient, I didn't communicate, I had a short temper. When a relationship moved from a what-if to a what-now, I became self-destructive. I sabotaged my own happiness. Yet being rejected still crushed me. Even when I knew someone wasn't good for me, I kept seeking them out. I became desperate, almost in a frenzy at the thought of losing their attention, their validation of my personhood, my right to exist. I felt disgusted at myself, but that only made me redouble my efforts. I hated myself, so I needed someone to love me. Inversely, I felt the intense need to love someone else, because I wanted to settle the love that had been displaced from my family. In the end, I only loved those who couldn't love me back, because that's all I knew. When I was a child, after any argument with my parents, my first question would be, do you hate me? They would recoil at the question before profusely negating it, reaffirming how much they loved me. Hate was considered a very strong word in my household. I was often reprimanded for using it casually. So how could my mother, who balked at the idea of hating me, who treated the concept as offensive, Be my abuser. After all, she cooks me all my favorite dishes. She supported my artistic endeavors. She provides me with opportunities she was never able to pursue. She brags about any marginal success I have. I am her pride. But that's exactly it. I am hers, not my own. I'm not allowed to be a separate entity. That's why I have to dress a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way because otherwise it reflects poorly on her. She's hyper aware of being judged for my supposed transgressions. And after all of it, after knowing I deserved better as a child and knowing that I deserve better here and now, I still feel for her. I understand her behavior and where it comes from. This understanding becomes my rationalization, a way for me to remove myself from the equation to disassociate from the trauma. This insecurity in my reaction, not knowing if my feelings mattered, allowed a simple bowl of mac and cheese to make me reconsider packing my things and leaving. Realizing that my situation is so incredibly cliché makes everything all the more frustrating. If Lady Bird can perfectly replicate the constant back and forth between my mother and I, does that make my situation more unreal? Less grounded in reality? More than the realization that my situation isn't unique, the reinforced idea that no one will believe me is what hurts the most. Jim Verrell, in his article on Ladybird for Pace magazine, writes that most of the coverage surrounding the film discuss the central mother-daughter relationship simply as difficult. And and gives an overall charitable description of the mother as well-intentioned. Aren't those the same words I used to conceal the grave reality of my relationship with my mother? My mother who purports to love me, not tough love, but one that is overwhelming, all-consuming, and leaves nothing in its wake. Does she love me? Maybe so. After all, if she believes it, then doesn't she? but her idea of love is not good enough for me. If her love is suffocating me, slowly burying me under years of emotional repression and resentment, then it is not good enough for me. Besides, it's not even me she loves, but the idea that she created of me, or for me, the role I was supposed to perform. My mother was never religious, but she worships the daughters. My mother was never religious, but she worships the daughter she thinks i should be whenever i step out of that constricting box i am reprimanded how many times will i tell myself that a bowl of fruit means love as a way to obfuscate how many times will i tell myself that a bowl of fruit means love as a way to obfuscate the reality of my situation a bowl of fruit is just that a bowl of fruit Regardless if it is an apology or a proclamation of love or simply looking out for my health, does it matter? Regardless if it is an apology or a proclamation of love or simply looking out for my health, does it matter? This is not a hashtag immigrant mom moment. This is abuse. No amount of sliced peaches will change that.